Episode 26, art critic, Shana Nice dambrot My name is Michael Delgado, and I'm your host. I come to you each week from the luxurious library bar in the magnificent Mayfair Hotel, right here in downtown L.A. Tonight, I'm meeting art critic Shana Nice Dambrot. She sips an iced coffee judiciously as I approach from across the bar. Long brown hair streaked platinum frames her face, falling about her signature bookish glasses. She smiles. It's time to meet. You know Geiger's bookstore across the street? I think I may have passed. You know Geiger by sight? Geiger's in his early 40s, medium height, fattish, soft all over, Charlie Chan mustache, well-dressed, wears a black hat, affects the knowledge of antiques and hasn't any. And, oh, yes, I think his left eye is glass. Hello. 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 My guest tonight is a major force in the L.A. art scene, arts editor for the L.A. Weekly, a contributor to Flaunt, Art and Cake, and artillery magazines. Shana studied art history at Vassar. She writes essays for books and catalogs, curates and juries several exhibitions each year. She speaks regularly at galleries, schools, and cultural institutions across the nation. And she's also the author of an experimental short fiction novella called Zen Psychosis. That's going to be out on Griffith Moon Press this fall. We'll be launching it in our bookstore with a signing in October, so please stay tuned for that announcement and welcome Shana Nice Dambrot. Welcome, Shana Nice Dambrot. Did I get that right? I yeah, got it right. You okay. Did. And and we right before this, we were talking about the origin of your name. Uh huh. And I would love to know more because I was, I was about to tell you, I, had, I used to work with a, a Shana oh, and, yeah. a, and a Shana, uh-huh. and they looked alike. Oh, and no. it was insane. And so one would be like, oh, it's like, Shana Banana. Like, it was awful. No, I, and I have friends um, who spell it the same but pronounce it differently, and I have friends who say it the same but spell it differently. So it's a whole continuum. And you've had this your whole life. I have. Yeah, the Shana thing, although I am old enough that when I was a kid, there was a famous um, newscaster, um, reporter, named Shana Alexander. Remember what? her? No, here in LA? In, well, I was in New York, so I oh. don't know, but it felt national. It felt like it was ABC oh, or something. So she was one of those sort of like, you know, um, proto-feminist things where they make the white news guy have a lady co-anchor yeah, to like... Right. With, with, um, so she was one of those. And her name was Shana. And her name was Shana. And so I was not named after her, but there was like vaguely a consciousness in the world. And then there was a soap opera called like, um, oh, called Loving. No, sorry. Okay, I'm so freaking old. But anyway, well, this is this late 70s, early 80s, right? There was a soap opera called Loving and there was a character on it named Shana. Ah, so there were two things out in the world where people had like heard it. And so this, should, your mother felt this was a great thing. No, my father. father, because actually how I got named Shana is for the Yiddish word for pretty. Aww. I know. Oh, oh, Shana Madela, that whole thing. Aww. So it's Yiddish, and then my middle name is Nice, which is character in a Henry Miller novel. Quite which a, one? 
quite a cliche. Uh, uh-huh. A really pretty, like, pornographic yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, a little, little racy, word, that one. But also so romantic and sweet. Mm. It's really a love story. Yeah. Um, anyway, it was so... It was still sort of, I think, like, banned in America when I was born in 1971 really? or had just become unbanned in, like, 68 or something. So um, it was being read in the house, I guess. And <laughs> I don't and, know. And, the, and you were born. And I was born. And, and I don't know if there's any relationship. I don't want to think about that. So my actual first name is Shana Nice. Got it. But I don't, like, make people call me that, you know, because that would yeah, be weird. That is uh, and then my last name's Dan Brock, okay. which is just, like... Polish Jew, no big deal. Right. Your basic yeah, Ellis Island type situation. Ne- I, I thought it was like Dutch or something, like Niz Don Brown. Yeah, yeah. There is some of that. I mean, uh, it was the name of the the you know the female protagonist in the short story, oh. um, and she in the book says uh, it's Nice, like the city, but N Y S, and you know that's not actually that helpful. Because Nice is spelled N-I-C-E. If you don't know your audience, that makes it, like, worse somehow. (laughs) But um, just to, like, bring it down for real, like, I wasn't allowed to know the name of the book until I was, like, 15. So the second (laughs) this information was revealed to me, um, I immediately, I was at lunch with my dad, we went to the Natural History Museum, went to the Museum Cafe over there on the west side of the park, and then he told me this information, and I was like, okay, and then, you know, lunch, and that, like, when I'm telling you, like, the second that we were done, I was like a lightning into the subway, down to the only bookstore in New York City that I knew, which was Spring Street Books, right. and I was like... I know where to go, and I went and I bought like every Henry Miller book they had, <laughs> fifteen, sixteen, right? Yeah, perfect. So like, what could possibly go wrong? Right. Yeah. But I really kind of know that that's actually how I turned out to be a writer was from. I was about to. I was going to ask you so that. So it, like, it all I, yeah. comes together. Oh, there you go. Well, that's good. And so, but you were born in like Connecticut or something, right? Yeah, I was born actually um, at Yale New Haven Hospital, oh. um, where various people in my on both sides of my family had um, uh, ties, histories, employment, whatever. And um, my mother's family is from a few towns over in Brantford, Connecticut, Mm -hmm. Long Island Sound. And she still lives in that general area, a couple towns away. Um, And so that's uh, just where where we were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, when I was in New York, I used to, uh, had friends in Greenwich. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I would would tease them because I'm like, you realize you have, you live in a city that has its own chocolatier. Like you go by Greenwich High School, and it looks like a Maserati dealership. It's Uh just ridiculous. Yeah, a little bit, a little little, bit. A little privileged. These towns were a little bit more rustic than Greenwich. You know, they were like apple orchards, right? So, Mm. like picturesque at a level that it's almost impossible to imagine living here where we live now. But like legit apple farms. You know, yes. neat, yeah. you know, stone wall, stone walls made out of gathered field stones that come up yeah. to like and the your knee because they're not right. about you. They're just like the sheep not 
getting out. You know, right. it's right, like just everywhere. You yeah, know, things beautiful. like that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's really an incredible. So, how did you end up world. in Los Angeles? Because you went to Vassar, right? I did. So I went to Vassar because I knew I wanted to study art history, and basically, that's there's no better right. place to go than that. So that uh, happened. And then um, I was living in New York afterwards, and I was working at the Guggenheim Museum, which was awesome, but kind of corporate. And I just wasn't... What were you doing there? Well, I was in, I was working in the development office of the Children's Education Program. Uh-huh. So we had a small team where we sort of all worked together to, to develop programming around the... Um, exhibitions that were on and I mean so we had teachers and art therapists on staff and they would actually do the programming they also paid um, working artists to go into public schools and teach art class because if a lot of people might not remember but that was a pretty serious um, budget crisis moment in New York this would be like 93 to 95 six it was the Dinkins and the Giuliani administration the end of the Dinkins and then the beginning of what would become the first Giuliani administration and you know public schools were being defunded and it was like the first thing you do is fire the art teacher because obviously who needs art you know it's that whatever all that so we had this thing and so our fundraising was targeted to you know educational foundations and sort of progressive groups that understood the value of art when, when did you start writing about the art well I mean, that really was what the art history degree was, right? Well, yeah, I was, I was actually when I saw your art history, I was a little uh, surprised, but um, I guess I'm not surprised um, that you would, <laughs> yeah, like a comparative lit or a. Oh yeah, or, yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing. So I always loved writing uh, as a general matter, but I didn't really know. It was sort of monolithic in that conception to me through like high school and college where it was like writing sort of meant one thing because right. it was this academic exercise even though I felt really creative about it and I always loved kind of like the term paper apart which yeah. is weird so midway through college I went okay so what I like to do is spend all day looking at art and then talking about it with a bunch of other people who did that too and then like staying up really late writing about it so (laughs) is that a job is there is there a job where that's the job and it turned out that there is and then that's the job i have right it was completely reverse engineered from how i liked to spend my time yeah yeah that's that's funny because i for me i you know i used to write for the weekly right Mm -hmm. yeah you have to you are not allowed (laughs) to live in los angeles (laughs) unless you write unless you've written for the weekly at least once (laughs) right well i was into the preferably longer hunter Uh drojo yoska yeah 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 but uh another fine fine writer yeah did her time at the weekly yes it's mandatory yeah but for me, it was like I was reading, I don't remember who wrote before me, but I was like going, fuck, I can write like that. I can write better than that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's some of that. So I did, <laughs> and I sent Hunter the whole thing, and she's like, hey, you want to write? So it was pretty funny. But yeah. Yeah, but I, likewise, I, you know, I, I went to art school, didn't go to you know, art history. Yeah. 
I mean, I loved it. And and the thing about Bowser too is they had a weird quirk where studio art majors, and it was a fine studio art program, by the way. A lot they shared a lot of instructors with Yale mm. at the time, so you really got like an incredible, incredible thing there. But the studio art majors were required to take. Um, in basic art history class, you know, 101, 102, mm-hmm. which makes sense, right? right? Sure, great. But the art history majors were not required to take studio classes, right. which I thought was short-sighted. So I took it upon myself one year <laughs> to take a couple semesters of, like, figure drawing and mm-hmm. stuff like that, um, like, just to see how hard it was, which is very hard, and to see if it made me like feel anything do you know what I mean like oh am I going to catch this bug is it, is it going to turn out this is what I want to yeah, do yeah, yeah. and it, it didn't it didn't <laughs> it didn't but I you, was like but, no writing's good I'm good with writing yeah I'm and, happy you, there. and beyond beyond and it's quite a beyond because you're quite prolific uh, but you also do experimental writing of some sort right I, well, I, I saw that and I don't know what the hell is that <laughs> okay so the first and possibly most important thing you, you need to know is that the, the book we're, ta- we're talking about is something that I wrote I mean I'm old so everything is like 10 years ago but tr- legitimately more like 20 like I could honestly like I could figure it out but it's at least 15 years ago so that piece of writing happened at an earlier time, and it was a similar situation. But it, it's not an ongoing thing. No, it was like an experiment, like the studio drawing, where I was like, everyone was always yelling at me about, you're such a great writer, you should write fiction, you should write screenplays. Uh, and I'm like, okay, uh, let me see what a novel would be like. <laughs> and it was like, oh, damn. And actually, that was a different book. I wrote, I'm like, 80% of the way through a historical novel that has to do with like, Hitler and his Jewish psychoanalyst and it's all like based on you know real history and like Carl Jung is character in the book whatever that is in a drawer but around the same time I tried this shorter thing and it was kind of an attempt to be like well if I wrote something literary what would that be Mm. and I enjoyed the process which I'll tell you about if you want but I did it like that time and then it sat in a drawer where it, I assumed would remain in perpetuity because that's what happened. That's sure. happening. Yeah. Well, if nobody sees yeah, it. Yeah, right. right. Then it's in there. So, uh, but you know, I had a printout in case of like the apocalypse or whatever. So like it meant something to me, like physical. But Gordy Grundy, oh, um, when uh, the world was going to be coming to an end a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, was like we he put out that anthology generation fucked all about how everything was falling apart and I think it was maybe in the anyway so uh, I was like you know I do have this weird thing that has never seen the light of day and he ended up publishing like the first 15 pages of it or something and then um, through that process Kimberly Brooks caught wind of it and was like who's publishing the whole book and I was like Good question, Kimberly Brooks, owner of amazing Griffith Moon Independent right. Publishing yeah, yeah. Company. And <laughs> she was like, exactly. So we started working together, uh, and then um, uh, and then you know the hilarity ensued, and now it will be out in October. 
Oh, is that? Oh, my God. Yeah, That's yeah. Adam Griffin. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the book is called... And, and we're signing well, it at my store. Yeah, yeah. So the book is called Zen Psychosis. And basically, it's a, not, it's a memoir, short novella at length. But it's 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 a memoir that's uh, all true in the sense that it's, but it, it's you it's know a actual memoir. It's a memoir. memoir. It's not fiction in any way, other than right. to say that every single thing in it happened in my dreams. It's basically like a, like a like a cleaned up dream journal. You know, I took names out because they wouldn't make sense to anyone who cares who Amanda is. I write my sister or whatever. Like uh, I cleaned I see, it up, yeah. and I I moved I moved the order. But I didn't add or delete anything at all from the contents because uh-huh. that would be fiction then. Yeah. And I was it was really important to me that it not be fiction, right? Like even very important. Even though it's dreams. Well, the theory goes, and this was an offspring of all the research that I did on Carl Jung and Otto Rank and the psycho an analytical community that was part of the Parisian surrealist community mm-hmm. in Paris in the 20s, which is also where Henry Miller was. And so Henry Miller had written a short story. It came out in the anthology uh, Black Spring in, I think, 1938. And maybe earlier, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe as early as 1920. Anyway, Black Spring. Um, it was, and it was called Into the Nightlife, A Coney Island of the Mind. And it was a short story that it soon becomes apparent is actually him relating a dream that he had. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't say that anywhere. Right. You just have to, you just kind of start and then you like have to kind of deal with it, like sink or swim right in the middle <laughs> of the story. You just have to figure it out and go with it in the same seasick kind of motion. And I just thought, fuck yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. That's what I'm, that's what I'm going to do. And it was Henry Miller. I don't remember your dreams. I wake yeah. up and I don't remember. My oh dreams no, I do. I remember mine. I, I have crazy dream shit. Like I can lose I can a dream. Imagine, yeah. I can decide what to dream about. I can be conscious in my dreams if I, yeah. if I, you know, if I focus on that as I'm falling asleep and stuff like that. Yeah, I have like a dream situation. So that all sort of so it was a Henry Miller thing again, which I knew about because I was obsessively reading everything yes. Henry Miller wrote because of my name. So it's, it really is just one big idea. Wow. And so anyway. How long is it? Uh, it's truly like 85 pages. Oh, cool. But then what happened was my boyfriend, Osio Lorefetov, the photographer, had this one image and I saw it and I thought, I want that on the cover of my novel. And actually I had said that to him years before. Like I saw the picture and I was like, if this book ever gets published, that's what I want on the well, cover. It's not the one of him naked shooting a gun. No, it. no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, it could be, but it isn't. But good question, because I could see that. You know him, so you know it's not out of the. Um, so anyway, that uh, evolved into a true collaboration, where he actually um, went into his archive and pulled out um, a series from different suites of pinhole photographs that he had made. And again, like the book, he had done a lot of these years and years ago. And as a filmmaker, he himself was interested in a similar idea. Like my question, literarily, was, can you tell a real in narrative that offers insight and a character arc in a dream journal because I guess if you wake up in the morning and then you've had a dream that's a real thing that really happened to you that you have a memory of now so how sure. is that different than like remembering what right. lunch was it's right. the same that's the that's the premise. premise 
uh, Osceola's dream panel pictures came about sort of from flipping that around as a filmmaker he always wondered always from when he was in film school a hundred years ago not a hundred yeah but you know a lot in the late 80s I think (laughs) NYU um, the idea was why do dreams look the way they look in movies and TV like they go to black and white or they get all wobbly or grainy or they go to this crazy like you know yellow submarine place when in fact the thing about dreams is they look super normal it's just that weird shit happens but you can't communicate that visually it's not efficient right to like wade all the way into a scene and let and then realize weird shit's going on and have the audience try to catch up to decipher if it's real or fake no better just put some vaseline on the lens and like cue people in sure. that you're seeing a flashback or a dream sequence but it actually bears no resemblance to the reality of dreaming right. and what that experience is and imagine our surprise when we independently discovered the 10 years before we'd ever even met each other we had both been working on these projects that really spoke to some of the similar issues from our two totally different points of view. I mean, it really was kind of a miracle. And so um, the book that's going to be the result is a true marriage of my pages and about 20, 25 um, of his pinhole images. Oh, cool. I didn't yeah. realize that. That's yeah. So and it's the both. name of this again? Zen Psychosis. It's a psychological condition afflicting um, like highly industrialized Buddhist societies hmm. where you're taught um, you know lavish 18 hour a day devotion to your corporate family right. and also that um, spiritual enlightenment is attainable only by solitude and stillness <laughs> and when you legitimate there comes a time when that's untenable and people kind of freak out because they're right not zen enough. For me, yeah. mm-hmm. It takes years in some cases, mm-hmm. but you can imagine what that would do to a psyche. Yeah. Um, right. And so that's what it's called. Okay. They're, they, well, I'm excited. They, get a, they, have a break, they have anxiety because they're not relaxed enough. Right. It's genius. Yeah. I, that's, that sums me that up perfectly. Right? See, it's relatable. <laughs> it it sounds perfect. experimental, but it's relatable no, as fuck. I totally get that. Well, yeah. I'm looking forward to that, and that's in October. Yeah. And we'll have an opening. Yeah. I mean, a signing. Yep. So we're going to do a book signing at A.G. Geiger and then migrate down the street to Osa's studio where he'll have um, famed prints of all of the images up. Right. Cool. And that'll be more like the after party. So we'll have a chance right. to celebrate both in one night in Chinatown. Perfect. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Do we have a date? No, but it'll be like. End of October. Well, stay tuned. Yeah. All right. So back to speaking of work and 18 hours a day. (laughs) (laughs) So you you just put out the best of and best. Those are that is uh, in in the publishing world. Those are those are brutal. Brutal. They're they're brutal. Murder. I mean, I've done it, but uh, you know, and and what to put in, what to leave out. You've got the the salespeople going. Hey, can we have the the, the 
<laughs> the best Mexican restaurant <laughs> yeah. between Sunset and this that starts with the letter P and is right. owned by a guy named Manuel. By so any they, chance? <laughs> um, right? I mean... Legit. So they can sell an ad. I mean, I, I, it's funny. It's not, I mean, it's not entirely accurate, but it's it's funny well it's they, they always push but well, they, yeah but you, you exactly don't i mean do that, there's a sort it's of like, like it's funny that they do that well there, it's more like you kind of you know write the word lacma on a whiteboard and like leave the room for a minute right <laughs> like you don't want to get too specific but like if i'm gonna have a feature on this amazing you know um that i do in the current best of for example um uh, this uh, collection of sort of lowbrow and pop surrealism that mm-hmm. LACMA has been quietly acquiring in memory of Greg Escalante. Really? I didn't know. Under the stewardship of Britt Salveson, um, who of course was both Greg's partner in life and a fancy curator at the museum. Yeah. And a tireless advocate uh, for arts in, in her entire life, not just at work. And so anyway, she had this idea and they have got, there's like about a dozen pieces. It's a combination of the artists donating, collectors donating, and people giving money to purchase. And it's like Robert Williams, Mark Ryden, Lori Lipton, Moira Hahn, um, F. Scott Hess, Jeff Gillette, uh, you know, on and on. And it's, um, it's a really beautiful thing. And they just did a little preview um, of a few of the early pieces last month. So I was able to go and see and talk to Britt about it. So, you know, that is, you're not supposed to have favorite stories, but kind of like that's it. That one has, that's a, a good one. kind of has my heart well, you know, yeah, in it a little Greg, bit yeah, with Greg great. and everything. And it was just amazing to be able to tell that story and uh, let people know that that was happening. And I mean, yeah. I'm not, you know, an apologist for LACMA, but they've been having a hard time lately. <laughs> the dark, you know what I mean? <laughs> And I, I hate the, well, the I new, hate the building too, but like yeah, I don't I don't want them to fail, right? right. So um, tough love, you know. But and I didn't add to the conversation because I felt like Christopher yeah, really he, had that covered. Like <laughs> he was on that shit. He was all of us. He spoke for all of us. I think yeah, this night in his coverage that. of that building, he, he was right about everything. So. You know, I retweeted that. I was like, me too. Right. But she's um, talking about Christopher but Knight I did, and his review of the upcoming LACMA redo and coffee table Kunsthal. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, yeah, it looks awful. Um, but the point is, LACMA was having a terrible month or summer, and I thought, I love Greg Escalante. I love Britt Salveson. I love every single one of these juxtaposed artists, like Lori Lipton mm-hmm. in the LACMA collection. And it also not only is sentimental, but it's legitimately filling a gaping chasm of omission in their permanent collection holdings. If you purport to be an encyclopedic county museum, how dare you discount the emergence of low-brown pop surrealism, which everyone in the whole world knows is a California miracle. So I think it it does a lot of things. And it's also like, I see you, LACMA, like I get that you're... Yeah. Not only evil or whatever. <laughs> when is that it going to be shown? Or, is that, um, or well, are they just collecting? They're just collecting right now. Right. But they did a little preview of like what they had so far just to oh, let people know yeah. that it was happening that about a month ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, just which is all of which is just to say 
you know, we don't really communicate that hard at, or really at all with the salespeople. No, you at can't. That. I'm just saying they but that, that doesn't they stop can them from know. coming. No, but like there's a moment at which they can know mm. there's a big story about something cool at that. Right, right. You can know that if you want. Sure. Or I'm doing a story where I round up all of the galleries in the Hollywood Media District. So for whatever that's worth, there'll be a big listing of those people. Right. Um, but out, past that, I don't think, I, I really, we don't really talk. Which no. is too bad because they're nice people. No, 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 they're wonderful, but I, you know. But I we don't really communicate. You can't, you can't because it just wrecks yeah. everything. And they know that, but yeah. I mean, I um, stowed away on their tour of the, of their hard hat tour of the new Academy Museum. Because they, uh, you know, the mm. the Death Star. Yeah, 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 the, the yeah. film cam, yeah. Um, and they were just, you know, going to meet with, like, the team and do whatever they're going to do. And I was like, oh, can I come to that? So I, you know, because it was, like, people I work with having a tour of the site. But yeah. I wasn't, I I actually. How um, was it? Is that all? Is it was pretty cool. But I actually came late, so I deliberately, by design, and they knew missed their entire meeting like I showed up when their meeting was over well, and no, just put on a hard hat and went on the tour I don't even know what they talked about yeah you can't well I, I mean the integrity of the magazines but yeah, yeah. you can't be hanging out with the salespeople too much no. but at the same time um, they're valued team members and it you know so I've never well, nobody really, gets paid if the tip of the spear isn't yeah you know, so you know I you know I don't um because also too, most of what I do at the weekly is not art reviews per se. I do that for other plenty of other outlets, yeah. and I don't think that that I don't think that that's what's really required or best for the LA Weekly. I think the LA Weekly needs to be more of a storytelling platform. And so my vision going in a year and a half ago was to make it that, and to be much more about getting to know artists getting to know little parts of the city that maybe you kind of heard a rumble, something was going on, but you don't know where to start. Um, I, I take the recommendations and the event picks very seriously. Like, it's not just like, oh, here's something on Saturday. I mean, we yeah. all do. I'm, or, my, I'm only, or my friend. We all do this, yeah. but I'm only speaking for myself, but everyone right. that works there is the same. But because I want to, like, let people know, like, here's some art that I feel like you are going to get something out of. And you should know about it ahead of time so you can go and see it for yourself. And I feel right. like that is actually um, quite valuable. And, you know, when I, even when I do write about exhibitions, I have a tendency to kind of, for the, at the weekly, to contextualize it with, you know, some biograph, biographical or some other context background um, on the artist or the show. So, so you don't really consider yourself a critic as, as more well, no, I, cultural I am, curator. But I, I would never say that. Don't ever say that again. I'm not a cultural curator. Don't write that down. That's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's been fucking curated. Um, no, no. I'm an art critic. I mean, I write straight up exhibition reviews for artillery and art and cake and sometimes for the weekly. Um, it's just that I don't think at the weekly that art critic is really what they need. Right. I think the weekly needs more of an arts writer, more of an arts journalist. And that might sound like a weird, fine no, no, that's hair splitter not to that, some people, that, that but it, I feel like it's, it's real different. 
And um, and then when I do catalog essays and book essays, which I do a ton of, yeah. I feel like that stuff is more academic. That is right. more from the, you know, the art history training kind of place. Yeah, where you're you're doing a little bit of analysis, a little bit of biography, you're speaking with the, to the artist's intentions, you're putting it in the art historical continuum of influences and movements, um, and you're doing all of those things that are much more like writing, you know, a high level term paper about an artist in a way, <laughs> right? So that's that skill set. So it really is kind of three different things. Sure. Um, that I do, but I enjoy that because I get to use kind of different voices and, you know, it makes it a little bit more fun for me to kind of be able to switch modes and so everything isn't just like the same all the time. Things right. have a different kind of life to them. Um, I try to take the readership into consideration in that way. Yeah, no, I think it's it's been great. I follow your work in the weekly a lot and, and any of the other things you write as well. But, um, so about the best of yeah um you want to go in a little bit about that like who's like out of the best of what's the best <laughs> what's the best okay. of the best of okay um one of the things they did was split the best ofs into the verticals so there's a best of food uh-huh there's right. a best well, of music right and i have a copy and here mine, I have a copy. Ooh, that's newsprint Hear it? Look, I'm holding it out between my hands. He's gonna get his little fingers dirty. Even, it's gonna I mean, be amazing. It's smudging stuff. So this is best of LA arts. Um, so it's just visual art mostly. Although I try. And there's a letter from the arts editor there is. here that might be. That would be me. Um, but one thing that I kind of explained to them before I did the first one last August was that I didn't feel that the art world structurally was really set up to be receptive to a best of style ranking structure. Yeah, it can't be ranking. I felt that the premise of bestness in the art world was something that we would all be Cringe. inherently find cringeworthy and that I simply was not interested in or prepared to undertake anything like that. Best gallery, best yeah. whatever. I was like, no, best no gallery fucking way. On, oh, yeah. on, right, yeah. right. Best gallery <laughs> in an old dry cleaning <laughs> store in a strip mall on Highland. <laughs> Nautica Hill, you know what I mean? It's like, I can't, what am I, what are you asking me to do? Right, like, exactly. I love, all, I love all these people funny. and we need each other and I, I don't, yeah. I have favorites, but this isn't, Shana's favorite gallery this month right. magazine. So I thought, what am I going to do? And I decided to make it more like a narrative structure. So um, we have different stories. One thing that I did do so this is year. Like you, I, I'm, 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 yeah. I'm yeah. browsing through it. Yes. So in other words, right. there's a, yeah. um, uh, I did a fall art show preview picks, like the 13 or 14. Um, you know, big giant art shows opening in September and October mm -hmm. that you should keep an eye out for. Um, and that's everything from like the DCA current LA food triennial to Nathaniel Mary Quinn at Gagosian to Enrique Martinez Salaya at Cohen Gallery to Laura Krivka, Luis de Jesus to April Bay and uh, Pamela Smith Hudson at Cimento. I mean, it's at Fallen Fruit at yeah. Pacific Design Center. Which also breaks the news of a new gallery venue opening at the, the PDC. Right? Yeah, so then we did that, and then we did a couple of venues that we thought people should you know know about. So we did Japan House, 
at Hollywood and Highland, and which is a super futuristic, awesome cultural center kind of outpost. Um, they have three in the world. Uh, this is the only one in America, in uh, North America. And it, uh, we also did um, a look at the Armory uh, Center for the Arts in Pasadena, um, where Tanya Layden really went in and told their whole story, like. Why is it called the Armory? Who are yeah. these people? What is their history? What, you know, where did, wh how did this evolve? And you know, what, what are they doing now? Which is really definitive and awesome to be able to do. And then we did some books and we did a bunch of artists profiles. Um, Zachary Drucker, Genevieve Gagnard, Henry Taylor, um, Jason Ma who's a musical theater artist that wrote a, a musical about the uh, completion of the Transcontinental Railroad and all uh -huh. the Chinese workers that uh -huh. made it happen that have been erased from history, but right. it's freaking musical, but I know, I know. Uh, Heidi Duckler Dance Theater. And then we did um, a curator, uh, Jill Monitz, who did a profile mm -hmm. on her. We yeah. had the architect Kulapat Yantrasost. I don't know that. He is the king of dope-ass jumpsuits and adaptive reuse architecture. He renovated the Marciano, the ICA, because uh, he's a genius. Brilliant. We're lucky that he's home-based in Los Angeles. He's a treasure. Um, you know, uh, there's a profile on uh, Terry Crews because people love Terry Crews, but they don't necessarily understand his side of him that's a visual artist and designer. Mm -hmm. which is amazing right and uh, so we you know it's we tried to have it be sort of a Rodrigo Valenzuela who shows with um, Deb Cloud and Man who's um, very um, you know sort of high concept photographer but kind of with a sculptural process that goes into it you know very interesting big ideas Right. So, um, you know, I'm forgetting people, but... Well, no, well, it, as you can tell, it, it, it's a must, it's a keeper issue. I'm, I, I'm holding on to it because it's a, it, it's a lot of information there, a yeah. lot of great stuff coming up, a lot of things to look at, I mean, like people to be aware of. It's a fabulous issue. Thank you. I'm so excited about it. Yeah, it's terrific. And are there events around it now, too, or... Because it just came out, right? It's just, yeah, it came out August 15th, and I'm going to, I've been putting, like two or four items to the website a day. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a full PDF link right from day sure. one, so I didn't want to hold it back from anyone, but I didn't want to just dump it all. Right. So I'm rolling it out sort of through the end of August um, with new things being added to the website. But no, I don't think there is uh, an event planned other than just like, you know, the, the scavenger hunt to find copies. <laughs> no, I Just know. like I, your I, own I, party. I tried hard to find a copy. She had to bring a copy to me. But, I, I mean, did. I looked at it online, but I, you know. But uh, to be fair, part of the reason you couldn't find a copy is that I personally took three from the place oh. closest well, to you. No, well, I have. I <laughs> so have that's one, one of them back now. I, I have that's one technically a Chinatown copy that there should you have go. been yours to begin I with. So. I was going to meet Wonder Bakery. Wonder China. Bakery, shout out. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was yours all along. I know. So now you got, are you taking a breather or what are you working on now? Uh, so when I go home today, I am going to finish a super fancy story on Enrique Martinez Celaya, who's like my favorite person ever. I'll tell you about him in a second. For Flaunt. 
oh. for their big September art issue. I love writing for Font. It's been several years. That's a cool man. That was a funny story that I, I don't think I can tell. Well, you can. It was a David LaChapelle story, and that's all I'm going to say about oh. that. But basically, David is personally responsible for me working with Flaunt, which had been a dream of mine huh? for years and you years. Want to give but him I a had shout out in terms of how people find Flaunt. Yeah, so Flaunt, I think, is everywhere that fancy, expensive, glossy magazines are sold. Yeah. As well as, of course, you can buy them on the internet, and they will per they'll mail them to you. Um, but so Enrique, he's someone whose show is also previewed in the paper. He is a dear friend of mine for years and years. He lived in Venice 20 years ago. We were all friends and he wasn't anywhere near as legendary as he is now, but he is a fantastic person. And I've been going to his studio, um, not like in secret, but like <laughs> to, to see pre you know, works in progress that were not for the public. Like my visits were not a secret, but I wasn't allowed to say or show anything that I saw while I was there because it was very much in progress but it was an amazing opportunity to have this really kind of over time series of like two or three conversations with him um, as he's preparing for this all new work for this big September show uh, at Cone Gallery um, and you know just a lot of interesting things have happened with him um, and some literary um, seminars he's been teaching at USC and um uh, you know, just some sort of exciting projects at galleries around the globe, and the new work is a little bit of a departure for him, which is always exciting. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, um, in a way, I've been working on that for months, although it also meant that when it was time to write the preview for the show at Cone for the LA Weekly Picks, it right. took me, like, like uh, I, there was yeah. no first learning curve. Yeah, yeah. So, sometime, but that is very, very rare that something will have yeah, more than one application like that yeah, you know the stars align like yeah that. I don't like to do that because I feel like somebody gets the A-list work and then somebody gets like the alternate version yeah yeah, yeah. so I, I try to never ever write about the same thing for more than one place but in this context the difference between two paragraphs about what the new work's going to look like at the gallery on September 13th versus a giant feature about everything about him yeah. were so, so there, different that I thought. There's an opening on the 13th? Or? Yes. Okay. On yeah. Highland. So um, that's what, and then I have um, a couple of catalog essays that I'm working on right now. One of them um, is for this amazing artist, Taiji Terasaki, whose work will be at the Japanese American National Museum in February, finishing up a catalog essay there for the book, and a few other show type essays and then I'm going to be doing a walkthrough on Sunday the 24th at C. May Gallery um, on Wilshire right next to the Craft Museum. Oh yeah. Um, there's this uh, photographer Manfred Menz and I had written the catalog essay for the show that opened a few weeks ago. So we're going to do a little artist walkthrough. There are these really cool sort of cheeky but totally dystopian landscape photographs Imagining a world where corporations buy branding rights to clouds <laughs> and di <laughs> digitally project their logos onto like puffy white clouds that float by, and it'll say like Amazon, yeah, you know, Netflix, watch anywhere. They, they kind of do, yeah, already. It's a lot, it's a different kind of cloud, yeah. but yeah, right. So, the pun tastic right. 
darkness of the cloud and right. ubiquity and, and you know the sort of creep toward the singularity and yeah. all of it it's like it's a lot to unpack and a lot of it's kind of funny in a dark way yeah so I'm anticipating it to be a pretty interesting conversation on Sunday afternoon and this is that's at the gallery yeah at what time I want to say two <laughs> I feel like it's 2 p.m. I but we like can find out. Okay, so we're going to plug this. We got to, like, okay, maybe two. Well, we don't have to get it let's ask, correct. Let's ask my phone what it thinks. All right. Here, my Siri. phone thinks that it's at 2 p.m. At? C May Gallery. Which is next to the Craft Contemporary, Contemporary. formerly Craft and Folk Art Museum. Yeah. Across, on Wilshire. Across from Lacma. Across from LACMA, really, directly across from the Tar Pits. Yes. All right, is there anything else we need to know? Um, so much. No, I th- I don't know. I feel like I've Well, uh, here, I tell you. Tell us something. I've been talking nonstop this whole time, which well, I warned you was that, possible. That's a good interview. So, um, tell us something about yourself that no one knows. Um, um, I am an amazing cook. I no. can throw down in the kitchen. Really? And you wouldn't necessarily think that. Well, I would think that because but, you, you yeah. would be, well, you know, with your, at the I weekly, you cook. would know the, the, the editor, the food editors, and have access to all that. Yeah, right? um, I, that I'm a foodie, me, actually. but, and that's normal, like, be a foodie, but yeah, to be actually, like, um, skilled and, and engaged by the act of cooking myself. Well, when do you have time for that? Well, that's the thing. I don't do it. I don't do it as much as I would like because it's like, it's kind of cool, but also like a little sad to do it for like yourself and your cat. (laughs) Right. And your cat weighs like a thousand pounds. Yeah. So she doesn't need like more shepherd's pie. Like she's a monster already. (laughs) Um, I do really like to cook for Osceola whenever I can. Um, Our schedules are, he works so hard and. You know, between the two of us, it can be hard to find enough time, but I do really enjoy that. Um, yeah, I do not get enough opportunity. Like, I'm that person that would, like, go on vacation to, like, a cooking school. Right. So what's your go-to cookie thing? Um, my, the thing that I'm best at in the whole world is an unfreaking real shepherd's pie recipe. Ah. I do little things to it that are different, but not too much. Do you make your own crust? I am a mashed potato crust person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I do little things like, you know, I'll make, I'll mix it turkey and beef so it's not as dense. Mm-hmm. And I'll add um, not only peas and carrots, but like whole cloves of garlic and make oh it my. very herbaceous. Um, and then the mashed potato crust, I probably, I have, I invert the proportionality, right? So. It's a third mashed potatoes and two thirds filling. Most shepherd's pie is the opposite. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. Super heavy. Yeah. So um, I make it more, like a little bit more, like a little more healthy. Like a regular person <laughs> could eat it. Like you don't have to be a fucking lumberjack to eat it. Like I try to make it, you know, organic and yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's my favorite. I make it on Thanksgiving with turkey every year, oh, like turkey nice. shepherd's pie, and that's yeah, my go-to yeah, yeah, Thanksgiving yeah. dish. Okay. I know. It's sweet. It's very. Um, very Martha Stewart. I've got all this like Le Creuset stuff at home. It's a whole <laughs> hidden secret life I have in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. I even own an apron. Well, now we know. What yeah, is yeah. It, does it say kiss the cook? It doesn't, but it has this real like um, like vintage, like bewitched kind of silhouette, you know, with the like mm-hmm. neckline and the little pocket. 
<laughs> so it's like halfway like sexy chef. <laughs> <laughs> and I cook naked. I do not. I really feel like that should be on record that that's not a thing, you guys. First of all, aside from just the ew factor, it's not safe. Like you will. Do you know what I mean? Like I feel like you'd, you'd get hurt. Like you'd hurt. Well, grease. Splattering in the wrong places. Yeah, I just it's not it's not safe or um, probably like sanitary really. Right. So no no I'm I'm a fully clothed, <laughs> shoes on, apron kind of chef. <laughs> well, that's good to know. And now you know that about me. Well, I do now. <laughs> <laughs> I see how you do this. You lull people, and then you get them silly at the end. It's true. Well, I've seen I you can't... do it to my friends before. It's on, true on your podcast. I know, and uh, well, normally they're drinking, but you're having coffee, which is why you're so prolific. Yes, that's the reason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, and, and stay tuned because we're you know what we should you know we should have, have the book signing. We should you should have me and Osceola on together when the book's going to come out because right. we are. You know better than anyone. You spend time with us. It's a whole thing. Like, yeah, that would be hilarious. That would be fun. All right, two of us on together, yeah. three of us together. We would have an amazing time. So let me just go ahead and invite us. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming up. for having me. It was a pleasure. That was really fun. You've been listening to A.G. Geiger Presents, Tales from the L.A. Art Underworld. My guest tonight was art critic and novelist Shana Nice-Dambrot. You can learn more about Shana at sndx.net. And stay tuned for... um, the book signing we'll be having for her new novel Zen Psychosis that'll be out in uh, the fall on Griffith Moon Press and uh, the book signing will be in late October you can check up on uh, aggeiger.com for more information about that A.G. Geiger Presents is produced by me Michael Delgado in conjunction with the Mayfair Hotel music and artist management company Regime 72 and of course A.G. Geiger Fine Art Books Please check us out at MayfairLA.com, Regime72.com, and AGGeiger.com. Thanks for listening.